All right, so today we're going to continue on our study on Philippians. And um, the title that I bring for this is kind of interesting. It says, different beginnings with the same ending. A different beginning, but a same ending. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because in this, right in the middle of the study, um, Paul takes a little, um, little turn here. You know, this is the type of passage, this is one of those passages in the Bible that we can quickly run through this passage. We can be reading the chapter and reading all the meat that God's word, and all of a sudden we get to this point where God's talking about people. And uh, in this particular passage, he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we can look at this and say, well, why is this important to me? I don't know these guys. They're not really important to my life. So why is it important for me to read through and, and study this? And and to be very honest, I was um, I was tempted to skip over it. <laughs> I was tempted to, to, to think that and say, well, why would I spend a whole Sunday talking about two men that I don't know anything about and I don't know any real relevance to our lives today? So I'm just going to skip over this and get to the next, you know, meaty section. And uh, God said, no, 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 I got something for you here on this. And, and, I, and he does. And I was really glad that he kind of stopped me on this because, because um, these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are two different men with two very different backgrounds or upbringings, but yet they ended with the same ending point. And I thought, wow, there's something there for us, something we can glean out of this, because not all of us come from the same background. We all have differences, some good, some bad, but yet we can all have the same end point. And I think that's what Paul wants to get out of this. Um, we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about how, um, again, this is a book of joy, but joy also requires that we have to put effort into the joy if we're going to glean it or gain it. So we've been talking about how we live our lives imitating the humility of Christ, and how we use, uh, Paul used Christ's example about how he took on human flesh. And by doing that, he said that I can't even take credit. I don't want to even go to the, to their, to the fact that I'm God. I'm a man now and I've taken on human flesh and I'm not taking up the, the authority that I had that I got that I left in heaven because I'm going to live a life of humanity here, even though I'm going to be perfect. That Jesus was willing to take on the weakness. Listen, he took the weakness of us. He took our weaknesses on himself so that he could prove himself powerful even in weakness. And then we talked about man's responsibility to accept the sacrifice of Christ because we have to work out our salvation through fear and trembling. And we spent a whole week talking about that, recognizing that it's, it's yes, it's saying the prayer. Yes, it's asking for forgiveness. Yes, that's grace. It's acceptance by grace. But then thereafter, we work day by day working out our salvation with the fear and trembling of the Lord. And it's only when we have that can we really be holy and honorable before him. And uh, we spent some time talking about that. And, and we know that we're not working for our salvation, right? We're working as a result of our salvation. We're doing good works because of God's grace in us. And then last week we talked about how we are to do everything without grumbling, arguing, or complaining. And I got to tell you, that I think is a powerful message. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. And if you have listened to it, go back and listen, listen to it again. <laughs> Not because I'm talking, but because the message is powerful there. Because when I can learn to live a life without grumbling, if I can do the things in life with a good attitude, if I can know that people are going to let me down, and I'm going to make mistakes, and they're going to make mistakes, but I still have to give them grace. I don't have the right to take on an attitude for somebody because they've hurt me, they've wronged me, or whatever the situation is. Do everything without grumbling or complaining, he says, so that you can become blameless and pure before the Lord. Blameless and pure is powerful because that's unmixed. It's like pure maple syrup, right? No sugar additives. It is pure stuff. It's, it's just really, really good. And, and that's what we want to be before the Lord. We want to be pure and blameless, unmixed with this world. And if we're grumbling and arguing and complaining, then we can't be pure. So watch your, watch your heart, watch your attitude. It's a big deal. Very important. And now Paul takes the, the time now to talk about these two men, it may seem out of place that Paul's getting out of that meat now and he's going to talk about these two men. But uh, we're going to find out some interesting things. Timothy is a Jew. 
and Epaphroditus is a Gentile. Two completely backgrounds, two completely different backgrounds, and yet they are vital to God's mission. What Paul needs, they're going to supply. And so I want this to be an encouragement for us today because not everybody here can be a Paul. You know what that means? Not everybody can be perfect. And that wasn't that the Paul's perfect, I'm not saying that, but not everybody can be that, that great leader in the church that Paul was. But yet we all have a responsibility. We all have a role in God's kingdom. And it's totally independent of your past. Totally independent of how good you were in the past or maybe how uh, poorly you were, how poor you were in your past. And I think this is really important. So stay with me here as we work through this. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read our passage, verses 19 through 30. So it's a relatively long text, but we're going to read through this and then uh, work through it through the day here. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Let's pray. Father, there is just a lot of a lot of words here, a lot of things to think about, and I pray you help us to keep our minds tuned in on what you would have us to glean from this. I pray, Father, you would help me to speak what I need to speak and help those to hear what they need to hear and help us to be encouraged today to, to be a Timothy and to be an Epaphroditus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So who is Timothy? Well, Timothy is a young Jewish man that Paul met on his first missionary journey as he was journeying through Lystria and Derby. His name means one who fears or honors God. So obviously you can tell he has a name that's a godly name, a, a name given by good parents. Timothy's, Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. So Jimothy, Timothy was a Jew, but he had... Um, Good upbringing. His mother and his grandmother were both committed Christians or Jewish people at that time, both committed to God. And uh, they worked hard to bring Timothy up in the ways of God. It says in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is writing this book to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm pers- per- persuaded now lives in you also. So obviously, T- Paul had great confidence in Timothy's background and his upbringing. And then we learn more about the relationship that Paul and Timothy had in Acts chapter 16. It says, beginning at verse 1, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is their first meeting, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So what this says here is that Timothy is now beginning his journey with Paul and Silas. Silas was also with Paul at this time as he's beginning his second missionary trip. 
And in order for Timothy to be respected by the Jews, Tim, Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised. Now, Timothy was not sure how old he was here. It could be a teenager. It could be in his early 20s. I'm not sure how old he was but old enough to know what circumcision was <laughs> and something he didn't want to go through, as you could probably imagine, right? So it wasn't easy for him to do at this stage in his life. But because Timothy was willing to do this, what did it do? It proved to Paul that Timothy was committed in his belief. He was committed to what he'd be asked to do to be a follower of Paul. And and here's the thing. Both Paul and Timothy understood that circumcision wasn't required to be a Christian in this time, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So Paul wasn't saying, Timothy, you have to be circumcised so that you can be a believer. No, what he was saying is, you need to be circumcised because we're going to the Jewish faith. And again, the Jewish people were Old Testament Jews at this point. Because remember, this is this is writing the Bible. This is early church stuff. Because the people then at that time, yes, Jesus had been crucified and he was he was the sacrifice of sacrifices, but yet the people that they were going to minister to were Jewish people that were that were still basing their life on Old Testament um, beliefs. And so circumcision was a big deal in the Old Testament. So to gain respect, to gain the audience with the Jewish people, it was good for them to be like them so that they could minister to them. So why is this such an important detail for us to mention here, for Paul to mention? Because Timothy understood that to be a disciple of Paul meant that he had to commit to follow without complaint or compromise. That's really important for us to recognize that if we're going to be a disciple, then we need to commit to it. And what this requires is an element of faith that we're going to believe the teacher, that we're going to have such a foundational belief that our teacher is right, that we'll do whatever he's asking us to do, even if it's difficult for us. Because I think too many times people... People confess, people profess to be a disciple of Christ. Too many times people will come in and say, I'm a Christian. Yet it's on their terms <laughs> and not on the teacher's terms. Right? I'm a Christian as long as everything's fine. As long as it doesn't cost me too much. As long as I don't have to commit to something that I don't really want to commit to. I'm a Christian as long as I'm in control of the way I want my Christianity to feel like, what I want it to be like. But when, as soon as something's asked of me that I have to do something that's outside of my comfort zone or something maybe that I'm not comfortable with because it doesn't match my theology, then all of a sudden I'm maybe not so committed to being a follower of Christ. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever been that way? Yeah, I think we all have to some point. But Timothy's attitude here matched that of Paul's attitude in their commitment to be whatever it takes to whoever it is that they want to share Christ with. I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. This is Paul saying, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So again, that doesn't mean that Paul's a chameleon and he's just trying to fit in to the crowd. What he's trying to do, he's trying to say, I, I want to identify with you in your weaknesses, in your struggles, so that I can share with you Christ who takes my weaknesses and turns them into great things. He's not saying, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just going to go have a beer with you guys. I'm going to go party with you guys so I can be your friend. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I'm going to identify with you in your weaknesses and, and where you struggle so that together then I can lead you to Christ 
who is the answer for all life's issues and problems. Does that make sense? Do you, don't misunderstand this, right? What Paul's saying here when he says this. Don't misunderstand it. And this, when, when Paul and Timothy were at this level of trust, this began a spiritual father-son relationship between Paul and Timothy that would last the rest of Paul's life and Timothy's life because eventually Timothy would take up where Paul left off because Paul was quite older than Timothy and Timothy would take off where Paul left and continue to teach and and preach and share the gospel throughout all of the the nations there. So I want to just talk to you a little bit more about how important Timothy was to Paul because Timothy wrote two books I'm sorry, Paul wrote two books to Timothy. First and second Timothy. First Timothy is Paul starts saying off, starts by saying in first one, chapter one, verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he goes on to verse six. For this reason, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, Paul saying, join me, Timothy. Join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That is a pretty tight relationship. Where Paul is saying, come join me, Timothy, in my victories, join me in my sorrows, join me in my sickness, join me in my struggles, join me in my suffering for the gospel. That's a pretty powerful relationship. And then in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul again talks to Timothy and he says this, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Wow. Did you hear me? Here's an older guy talking to a young guy, and he says, Timothy, you're going to be dealing with a lot of people older than you physically. But spiritually, Timothy, I understand the power that you come that comes in you is not from yourself. It's from God. So therefore, don't let people intimidate you because of their age, and don't you be intimidated because you're young. And then he goes on to say, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So obviously, there is a really tight-knit relationship between Paul and Timothy, and Paul has great confidence in Timothy, even as a young man. He sees Timothy to be a rising star in the kingdom of God, and he wants to encourage him. And we should take this as hope for us as well. Don't worry about your age. If you're younger, great. Enjoy that youth. And if you're older and if someone comes up that's a little bit younger, don't despise them. Don't look down on them and say, well, you don't have all the experience I have, so you can't speak into, into my life. Well, according to what Paul said, that's nonsense. If someone fully, truly is fully committed and filled with the whole power of the Holy Spirit and speaking accordingly and, and living a life accordingly, then... They have right to speak into your life, and that's a good thing. In all this relationship, Timothy exhibited a true humility in his willingness to submit to Paul's leadership and training. That's, that's pretty important, that Timothy wasn't prideful, wasn't arrogant. He was willing to be taught, and I think that's really important. Let's come back to our text a minute here because we want to understand that what Paul saw in Timothy, what makes him so valuable, are something that we should model in our life as well. Let's go back to our text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 22 22. Paul says, I have no one else like him, or I have no one else like Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. He's speaking to the church of Philippi. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. So Paul's making a point here that loyalty to the family of God is something that is, is irreplaceable 
when it comes in working the kingdom of God. If I'm going to go into a body of believers, I must prove myself to them, and they must be confident. And Paul is giving the church of Philippi reason to believe in Timothy. And here's something that is really important for Timothy to recognize, and for us as well, that Timothy had to work hard at his faith, and he had to earn the respect of the church leaders he was going into. He had to work hard at his faith. And I think that's something that's missing in our world today. I think that it seems that that most people, I shouldn't say most, some people that, that move into leadership, that they come into that position of authority by self-appointing themselves as leaders more than earning the right to be the leader. We'll come back to that in a minute. But earlier in our studies, we talked about unity and humility. And we said unity is impossible without humility. Remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. And this is exactly the point that Paul is trying to make here with with Timothy's humility. And because Timothy was humble, there was great unity between the two of them. And also there would be great unity in the church of Philippi. Because a person that shows genuine concern for others' welfare over their own proves they're humble. If a person puts more concern about you than them, than themselves, that's a good indicator of humility. And that's when unity can be achieved. Because when I'm more concerned about you than my own needs, then how quickly we can build a relationship and be in unity together. So God is able to minister to people in ways specially formulated by a humble attitude that that promotes unity in that relationship. Let me give an example. Let me just say some personal things here because um, I started pastoring here in 2009. So that's about 15 years or so I've been a pastor. Prior to that, I was a layman. And... um, so I, I've been a layman more years than being a pastor. And in the time in the church, I grew up in a church and I, you know, was leaders and, you know, lay leaders in churches. But I've seen church from both sides. I've seen church from a layman side. I've seen church from a pastor side. And so I have pretty good confidence about what I'm going to say here. But the point of this is the most important people, listen to me, the most important people in the church are the loyal and supportive laymen in the church. I want you to know how important your role is in the church. Because for a church to be stable and strong, it's the laywoman, the layman, the laywoman, the layperson that make it that way, not the pastor. You can, because pastors come and go. But a church that's going to outlast a pastor needs strong laymen needs a strong leadership in, inside the church. It needs that stability that says, I'm going to be part of this church no matter who the pastor is, quite honestly, and I'm going to support the pastor. It's not that the pastor is unimportant. Clearly he is. The pastor is a key role in leadership, no question about it. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm trying to say that the relationship between the pastor and the lay people are really important. Um when I was in Brighton, in a church there, I was involved in our church. I was, uh, you know, an elder. I was a deacon. I was a church treasurer. Um, I did a lot of teaching there. I did, you know, weekly devotionals and so forth, taught Sunday school class and so forth. I just did a lot of things. And I enjoyed it. It was what my, it was who my identity was there. And I became a great friend of the pastor. And we had a great relationship. Still do. And when I came up here a few years after pastoring, um, here, Ken Shelton, who was my pastor, he asked me, and I say this in a, I don't misread why I say this, but he said, Mike, he said, have you found your Mike way yet? I said, Ken, what are you talking about? He says, have you found the man in your church that you can depend on like I depended on you? And I thought, well, how powerful that is. See, it's not about the pastor. It's about people that will support the mission of the church. It's about people that will support the role of a pastor in whatever role you're in. 
And I think that's what Paul was trying to say here when he was talking to Timothy about being a good leader, about how being a good churchman here, because without good churchmen, you really don't have much of a church. And then another interesting point is in 2012, um, after we had some issues, the Lord started to, to lay on my heart of about a name change for our church. Do you remember that? 2000, for those that were here, 2012. We, prior to that, we were Charlevoix Assembly of God, which is good. It's, it tells us that we're the Assembly of God Church of Charlevoix, which is good. That's what we were, right? What we are. But the Lord started to deal with a name called Centerpoint. And the reason that, that came up is that we were, I was in a series and talking about Christ being the center point of our life. And over the next weeks or months after that, the Lord just kept bringing that back to me about the center point, the center point. And the, really, it came more of a question, who is at the center point of your life? Because if you're living life and you're at the center point, then Christ is not. And if Christ isn't the center point of your life, let's just talk facts. That in all honesty, you're not a Christian. Think about it. If you're living your life and you're calling the shots and Christ is your co-pilot, then just you have to be honest with yourself. You're really not a follower of Christ. You're trying to get him to follow you. And you're trying to get him to bless your plans rather than you follow his plans, right? So it really became a challenge to me about being Christ being the center point. And I'll be honest with you, that's a, that's a challenge. It's a challenge to have Christ at the center point. I agree with that. But it said he, he started to place the, the, the burden or the, the thought, rename the church, rename the church. Name it center point. And really, if I was correct in it, it would be a center point with a question mark. Who's at the center point of your life? So that everyone that drives by this sign on the street or everyone, everyone that calls this their church home, it should be a question, who is at the center point of your life? Who's at the center point? So it should be a constant reminder to us about humility and unity a constant reminder of who's really calling the shots. Yeah. So that's where we're, that's kind of where we're at, and that's that's the journey that I've been on ever since, and I think it's a good journey. Let's go back and get back into our text. Philippians chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-two. Let's continue. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because, as a son with his, with his father. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I want to go back to the point I made earlier about being a leader, about that some people self-appoint themselves as leaders rather than earning a leadership position. So I want to ask the question, how does one earn the respect of becoming a leader? How do I earn that respect? How do you earn that respect to be a leader? Well, we know that Timothy became a great leader in the early church. But how did he do it? And what can we learn about it? Can I just say this? Before one can be a great leader, one must be a great follower. Think of that. Before one can become a great leader, one must become a great follower. You must learn how to lead through, through following a good leader. Both Timothy here and Epaphroditus, who we're going to talk about in a minute, clearly understood the nature of being a follower and a servant before one can ever take the role of being a leader. And you know what's interesting about that? Is that you can be a great leader in your role of following. In other words, as you're being a good follower recognizing people that you're leading people into being a good follower. People are always watching us. We're always being evaluated. We're always being judged. We're always being looked at and, and, and evaluated. So in my followership, I'm a good leader in the fact that I'm being a good follower. And on the, on the flip side of that, if I'm not a good follower, then people are saying, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to be a part of that organization because he says he's following something, but yet look at his example. Look at his life. You know, it's called being a hypocrite, right? We all know what that means. 
So if I'm really going to be a good leader, if I'm going to be trained to be a good leader, I need to learn how first to be a good follower. And that means I need to follow what the church is doing, what the church is preaching, what the church is teaching, a Bible-believing church, that is. If it's not a Bible-believing church, you shouldn't be there in the first place. Get out and run. But if the, teach, if the, Bible, if the church is teaching the Bible, then follow it. One of the interesting, interesting things about being a follower that can't be overlooked is that followers must understand the risk and the tribulations that leaders go through. Followers must understand there's a risk to being a follower because there's a risk of being a leader. A leader isn't a good leader if they don't teach and allow those that are following them to face the difficulties that are coming. Man, this is big in our parenting, right? How easily we can enable people because we say that we love them so much that we don't want them to go through pain and suffering, so we take care of all their problems for them. In all honesty, what we should be doing is letting them get into trouble and helping them through it. Um, I mean, maybe we're all out of, most of us out of that parenting area now, but you know what? Uh, a problem that a 10 or 12 year old kid has is pretty minor compared to a problem of a, of a teenager or a kid in your twenties. So let that 10 year old kid get into trouble. Let him figure it out. Let him go through, let him deal with the consequences early in life. So that they understand that there's consequences to poor behavior and don't bail them out. And so many times we have, parents have gone and bailed their children out when they're early in their early years of trouble and we haven't taught them how to deal with problems we haven't taught them how to deal with the fact that you make poor choices you're going to have consequences to follow and therefore we've enabled children to think i can get away with anything because i can my dad will take care of it and um, that's not good leadership and that's exactly what paul was doing here with epaphroditus a little bit is that he was with him in his trouble. So let's talk about Epaphroditus, okay? Let's go to that point. Now, who was he? Who was Epaphroditus? Well, he was a Gentile, and we don't know that, we don't know that much about him, other than the fact that we can know that his name is a pagan name, and it means belonging to Aphrodite, and Aphrodite was a pagan goddess. It was, so they were, he was coming out of a, a non-Christian, a non-Jewish background, and they worshipped idols, and they had false gods that they worshipped. So obviously, his background says that he was very different from Timothy. He didn't learn. He wasn't trained in being a godly man. He was, he was trained in being just the opposite. But yet, God had a plan for him, and he was going to be used mightily in the kingdom, which gives us great encouragement to know that. You see, Epaphroditus, he was from Philippi. He was, um, he had a conversion experience at some point in time. So now he was being sent by the church to go visit Paul in Rome to take Paul a care package. But while he was there in Rome with Paul, he got sick, seriously sick. Um, and that's an interesting thing right there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But how did Paul and how did Epaphroditus deal with the sickness? Let's go back to our text. Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Paul says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but me also to spare me upon sorrow, upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So now, we all know what Paul and Timothy's relationship was, right? We've just been talking a lot about how close they, those guys were knit together. But what did Paul think about this Gentile? What did Paul think about this guy that was brought up in, in, in goddess worship and, and idolatry and things of that nature? What does Paul call him? Paul, to Paul Epaphroditus, he calls him a brother, 
He, in other words, Paul loved him as he would a family member. He also called him a co-worker, that he was laboring. They were laboring together for the same goal, and he called him a fellow soldier, meaning that they were going to share the same trials and tribulations. They were in a battle together. So obviously, Paul had a relationship with this man, different than Timothy's a little bit, but yet a tight relationship with Epaphroditus, because he proved himself to Paul to be obviously devoted to Christianity. He was faithful, and he was willing to self-sacrifice. He put his interests of others before himself, even to the point of his illness. He labored for Paul and with Paul. Or even after he was ill, he was distressed because he was giving his church home, his church people, Philippi, concerns because he was ill. And I think it's interesting here that God allowed something to happen in the life of these men that were serving God according to God's will. God allowed sickness come, to come into a man's life that was in obedience to God. And I think this brings a good question for all of us. Because why would God do that? Why would God bring sickness into Epaphroditus' life right now? And it wasn't just a minor sickness. It was almost enough to cause him to die. And it caused Paul anxiety. Really? I find that so interesting that here is a man, both men are serving the Lord, living right, doing the right things, working hard in the kingdom, and Epaphrodites gets sick to the point of death. And it caused Paul to be anxious. Now, in our... <laughs> In our self-elevated way, we may think, well, Paul shouldn't have been anxious. I mean, we can say that, right? But then again, how anxious do we get when we get sick, right? Or someone close to us, we get sick. But I think here God has a lesson for us. Because God does his best work in our weakness. God does his best work when we're at our weakest. And I don't want to minimize anyone's suffering here or pain because when we go through serious illness, it's not fun. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all because it's it's a big deal. But if we can learn from people like Epaphroditus and Paul that God has a plan in everything, I hopefully that will give us some comfort. God's not limited by our physical abilities or our physical conditions. And we can be in great shape or we can be in really poor health. God is still in control of everything. So don't get anxious about it. Um, let God take the anxiety that comes from that, recognizing that God has a plan and he will use us even in our weak state. He has a great plan for us. And that's part of learning to be a good follower. It's part of taking the risks of being a good leader is knowing that things are going to come your way that are going to rock your boat. And when they rock your boat, what are you going to do? Are you going to panic and give up or are you going to stay the course? And I think that's some of the things that Paul was being taught and Epaphroditus as well. So let's get back to Timothy and Epaphroditus. What's the, what's the thing that stands out most about these two men? For me, it's how different they were at the beginning and how similar they are at the end. They, were, they couldn't be any more different. They were opposite ends of the spectrum. But yet, they had the same endpoint because they were being used by God in a mighty way. So what's the point of that? Listen, God can use us. He can use people of any background if, and I use that with a big bold letter, if they're willing to accept Christ and make him their Lord. See, the, the, the thing that was different about Timothy and Epaphroditus was their background. The thing that was similar about them is that they both serve Christ. And they both served them fully committed. And with that then, God wipes out the past and gives a new identity for the future. And that's what's so important about this. Because when Aphrodite got saved, it changed everything in his life. It changed everything because he was an Aphrodite. He, he worshipped Aphrodite. He was a, a false, he worshipped false gods. And we don't know about his conversion experience, but clearly it changed his life just like it needs to change our life. When you get saved, life changes. 
It must change. You can't go back to serve an Aphrodite if you're going to serve Christ. You have to move on. You have to say, I'm not going to be that old identity. I'm not going to be there anymore because Christ has changed me. And that brings us great joy. Philippians 2.29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. That's what Paul's saying. Paul, this is a good man, and you know it. So I'm sending this man home to you that you can honor him. And this is where I'm getting to the end here because this is what's so important. And I've said it before. It's not how one starts. It's how one finishes that counts. This is really important. Jackie, would you come, please? It's not how one starts. It's how one finishes. And that's the beauty and the power of serving a God that lives and he changes people. He changes us from what we were to something that he wants us to become. I think what's interesting about this is this too. Is that if our beginning really isn't as important as our end point, then the same thing could be said that if a person starts well, that doesn't mean they're going to end well necessarily. So a person can start really well and lose their faith. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. So we, we, we often take this about the person that that has been a real struggle in their life and they've been a real bad person. And, and yes, you can change and you can become a good person, and that's great. But the warning needs to also be brought to those that start good and know that you have to continue in that good or you can end up bad. <laughs> it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So sometimes we can be prideful in our good upbringing. You can be prideful in the fact that I went to church all my life and now I'm riding the coattails of my past without recognizing that I have to be diligent in my future so that I don't lose it. You know, the Bible says at the end end times which we're living in, there's going to be a great apostasy, a great falling away. I recognize that apostasy can't happen unless you're already at a high place and you fall down. Apostasy says you leave a place where you once were and you fall from that place. The world is already in apostate state. So the world can't go to, they can't be guilty of apostasy because they're already there. So who is this written to? It's written to the church. It's written to people like me and the people like you, if you're a believer, that if we're not doing life work well, if we're not diligent in our in our ending, in our pursuit of godliness, that we can become an apostate or we can fall from our position of goodness where we once were. Does that make sense? So we have to watch ourselves. The Bible talks about perseverance a lot. If you go back and read in, in the Bible, just go back and do a Google search or a word search in the Bible about a perseverance and see how many times it comes up. James talks about it and that we need to live a godly life in order to gain eternal life no matter the trials and tribulations that come in the process. James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces There's that big word, perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he goes on to verse 12, and this is a really important verse because he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's the person that perseveres in the good times and in the bad times that we protect our Christianity because we can cool off. We can lose our fervor. We can lose our passion for Christ. We can say, hey, I'm good. I'm better than a guy down the street. I go to church more than them or I do this more than them or whatever. And all of a sudden we're in a comparison mode of other people rather than keeping our eyes focused on Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And then we're to run the race with perseverance. 
marked out for us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter 12. So I don't know where you started out from in your life necessarily. Maybe you started out really good. Maybe you were going to church all your life. Maybe you have a past that you're really proud of. Or maybe you've had a really hard time in life. Maybe you have a past you're not proud of. Maybe you have those issues to deal with. But let me just say, it doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God. He's no respecter of persons. He knows your past. He knows He knows your the issues you've dealt with. And here's the thing. The enemy knows them too. And the enemy obviously is out to bring condemnation to you. He's obviously out to bring you words of discouragement to say, you're no good. You're not good enough to be used of God. You have a past. You have a background. You're not good enough. That's what the enemy would say. That's what the enemy would say to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, you were a, you were a goddess worshiper. You were an idol worshiper. You're not good enough to be used. But that's not what Paul said. It's not what Jesus says. It doesn't matter. God has an identity for you to want to walk in if you will leave your past behind. If you will leave your past behind, it doesn't make any difference because God has an identity he wants you to walk in and he wants you to take on the new identity that he's given you and he wants you not to listen to what the enemy would say or who your old flesh man would say because he has a total different plan for you, a new place for you to walk, a new thing for you to do. So we can learn from the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and it doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter what your past is. All that matters is, are you persevering? Are you continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you continuing to doing the things, committed to do them without compromise? That's a good challenge, isn't it? But it's also a great word of encouragement because there is no condemnation here. We're just inviting the conviction of the Holy Spirit to continue to lead us and guide us in all of our ways so that we can be used of him over and over again for an eternity of reward. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this. We thank you for the word that you've given, God. I thank you for these men. I thank you, Lord, how they are examples for us to become like. God, if we are like a Timothy that has come with a really good background. That's great. Amen. Thank you for that. But Lord, help us not to rest on that. Help us to dig deeper. Help us to grow more like you in that area. At the same time, if we're like Epaphroditus that comes from a tough background, maybe we've done some things. Maybe we've got a really mixed up family life and maybe we're really dysfunctional in our upbringing and all that stuff. God, it doesn't make any difference to you either. You can take that and you can make it straight. And you can make it pure and holy before a holy God. And you can use us just as much as you use Timothy. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged by that today, that we would be challenged by it and encouraged. And that we would would just put our, our mind on you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand with me. And let's uh, worship before we go. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender.
There's a lot of power in that little song right there. But you know, we have to break down some things in our life. Break down those old traditions, right? Break down those old religions. And you know, whenever you've done a remodeling job, it always gets ugly before it gets better, right? You got a lot of stuff on the ground. You got a lot of mess you got to make before you can see the goodness come out of it. And maybe that's your life a little bit. Maybe you got to tear down some things. Might get a little ugly. Might have to do a little work. But when you do that, you tear it down, let God build it back up, and you'll have a great, a great home, a great future, a great life. Amen? Father, we just invite you now to break us down. Lord, break down our religions, break down our traditions, God, that we would be taught to be a follower of Christ, that we would learn how it is to follow you, and that we then could be great leaders in the kingdom. But God, first tear us down, break us down to build us up. God, I pray, Lord, you just give us great peace today as we go into our homes, go back into the world that we're going into. I pray, Lord, that we would chew on this message and other ones like it and just move in us, Lord, and just keep us, purify us, I pray. Give us your strength, your love as we go today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.